everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. I'm your host, Dave Sheehan. With me today, John Camino. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Uh, how are you, David? David Shear, since we're using surnames. <laughs> <laughs> the mate, the legend. I always have to introduce you somewhere, right? So, very nice. Because <laughs> we know 90% of the listeners on this podcast coming in for you. So, you know. I don't know about that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm very well. It's good. Yeah, we're doing it on a Thursday today. So um, everything's good. For everything's a bit of change, good. for a bit of change, this will be it up. But having yeah. said that, the first day doesn't stop us from giving good content. As we oh, that's right. <laughs> right, so. that's right. Anyway, um, so yes, John, I mean, um, <laughs> I have to say this is, uh, it's such an interesting market at the moment and i hate to repeat myself the whole time but the us cpi data that's been released earlier this week which i think you know it was uh it was showing very very strong signs of recovery in other words i think us pretty much had um their cpi under control now um everything came back under expectation if i could i think i just because i look it up before cnbc on the cnbc website yeah the cpi in october um uh, increased 3.2% from a year ago Okay, 3.2%. Um, now, the core CPI rose 0.2% and then it was 4%. Okay, so core CPI sitting at 4%, but the forecast of that was 4.1%. So yeah, basically, right. the CPI and the core CPI both came below market expectations. In other words, it's recovering a lot quicker. It's coming mm -hmm. down a lot quicker, I should say. The annual rate was the smallest increase in September 2021. That's so the that key. Two yeah. years two years um the flat reading on the headline cpi came as energy prices declined 2.5 percent off the month i wonder whether australia is going to follow the same soon with uh, certainly will prices. yeah offsetting the 0.3 percent increase in the food index and basically following the report traders took any potential fed rate hikes almost completely off the table off the table now so you know, I think that's going to be an in interesting indicator because we all we spoke a few times. The RBA has a lot of pressure to increase rates if US continues or Fed continues to push the rates up. Otherwise, the gap between the currency is going to increase and it's going to impact our exports as well, right? So, um, and and if I'm not mistaken, I think once the CPI data has been released, the US dollar dropped sharply. And the market, the stock market rallied big time <laughs> yeah, on, the, yeah. on the expectation. This is the end of the Fed rate rise. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think I think they're right. And I think they're, they're right. right. Okay. Yeah. So so uh, everyone keeps thinking, everyone keeps, okay, a couple of things, actually. Where to start with this? I feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. There's so much to talk about. But look, um, the uh, the there's a, a prevailing so the market thinks that they're done. The Fed is done with rate rises. I agree. Yes. The countervailing view to that is no, no, no. This is like the 1970s where they thought they got on top of it, and then inflation came back, and they had to go back in and mm. raise rates again. Mm. I don't think this is the 1970s. We've chatted about this before, but there are two reasons why this is not the 1970s, and I think that it's going to be easier to kill inflation this time. Although we have our own challenges at the moment with, with supply chain. The yeah. first reason why this is not the 1970s, is we've got way more debt than then. This was, the 1970s was the, the decade they, were, they went off the gold standard. So they they had very little debt. Um, debt in the US is about 130% of GDP. Back then it was about 20% of GDP. So we have a lot more debt now. 
Second reason is we've got far worse demographics. So you had the 1970s was when the baby boomers were getting married, buying their houses, having their kids, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. We are not there. We have we have we're facing like demographic cliffs, and in places like Europe, certainly China, mm. other parts of the world. Even so, so don't be fooled just because the populations are really healthy in Australia. That is not a global phenomenon. The global populations are. Uh, are, not, are not healthy. So, yeah, I th- do I think that the Fed's done? I think that the Fed's probably done. You always have to put the caveat probably just so we don't, the, the language isn't too firm. Uh, puts pressure on the RBA. Uh, the RBA, there was always a suspicion that there would be a December rate increase. I don't think that there'll be a December rate increase. And I think if the Fed's done, the RBA is done. About an hour ago, unemployment numbers came out and the unemployment rate ticked up. And sadly, uh, our policymakers want higher inflation, uh, higher unemployment um to get the inflation rate down what's it on now uh i don't i it was it's all very fresh and uh, i've been chatting to you since uh they came out but um we can have a look at it while we're chatting to each other but the unemployment rate ticked up ticked up okay yeah and so the dollars come down and the reason that the aussie dollars come down since that announcement is because the market's starting to factor in that we're not raising rates either but look we'll we'll, we'll see to some degree we we do what we're told and we do what uh, the expectations are in the market. But um, I think we're certainly one of the reasons I think we're certainly near a terminus rate. And one of the reasons why I don't think that um, a rate increase at this point of time is going to like crush the real estate market is because every rate, every time interest rates go up, if they go up again, will always be considered the last time. Mm. So if rates go up one more time, we'll say that's the last one. It's the last one. And if they go up again after that, we'll say that's the last one. It's the last one. So, so the sentiment will be fairly optimistic. And and the market would be right to be optimistic because we are, even if it's not the, the last rate, we're, we're close to the top. Yes. Um. So yeah, inflation's, inflation's broadly under control. Unemployment's ticking up and consumer confidence is down. And sadly, the, 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 these are the, the objectives. So mm. Mission accomplished. Consumer confidence has been very pessimistic from memory. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been even lower than I think pre-COVID levels at this point yeah. in time. And um, I've just had a quick look on the unemployment rate. It's gone back up to three point seven percent in October. Right. So, okay. Yeah, so point two percent increase because previously it was three point five. Yeah. So the figures are starting to show the impact of the of the rate rises um, yeah. with having the RBA having RBA done all that hard work right now so okay so in a sense i think it's a bit of a rejoice slight relief for the mortgage holders that uh at least it seems like the interest rate rise is off the table for december at this point but um never say never about february or march as the quarterly cpi data gets released in february i think the rba will then reassess in terms of what it happens then but certainly i think the pressure from the Daddy US side of things is now a lot more under control. So, yeah, that's right. And to look to to use a to th- this is like Austrian business cycle. Anyone who's done economics, you, you might have might remember your uh, uh, Ludwig von Mises or your Friedrich Hayek. But this is Austrian business cycle theory, and what what that says is that um, even though the we've, it feels painful now, this is like the this is the hangover. The problems was the party last night where we went out and we got smashed and we kind of fell over and and cut ourselves and now when we've got a we've when we got drunk, that was 2020, 2021 when they lowered interest rates. Yes, where this is the this is the hangover, but it's the necessary hangover so that we can resume 
um, proper life, proper function, but it's painful. No one wants the hangover. Everyone wants the party. And so we're getting towards the end of the hangover now. So it's 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 a good thing. I, I, I still believe that they'll break something, but it depends what they do next. It depends what they do after. I do agree with you on that, John. Um, yeah, I think, uh, and I don't know what's gonna what's gonna break. Unfortunately, I don't think mm. anyone anyone can tell. Um, but um, having said that, is it too early to talk about reductions in the US side of things? Do you think they're going to bring forward the interest rate reductions on the Fed side of things as potentially early as mid twenty twenty four? Potentially. I, I do. So UBS, the the Swiss bank, Swiss bank, UBS came out um, about half a week ago and said that th- th- they have have a sort of contrary view. They think that there are going to be four interest rate cuts the mm. second half of next year, mm. and that the Fed funds rate will go from about five percent. I I hope I'm approximately right with that down to about two and a half percent. So a, a halving of the interest rate, and and they're predicting some emergency cuts. So it'd be interesting to see if that prevails. That's not the prevailing orthodoxy in the market. The orthodoxy in the market is everyone's believing the higher for longer. I personally don't believe higher for longer. I think higher for longer is unnecessary because of the two reasons I gave before, demographics and and debt, that they can't do higher for longer. But that's definitely the narrative until it's not the narrative. (laughs) So I think I'm more with UBS, but I realize it's, it's a bit of an outlier. Mm. Prediction, but we'll see. Yeah, so so I, I would I would see steep cuts mid from mid next year. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully if this um this video self destructs, if I'm wrong, <laughs> and goes down some Orwellian memory hole on YouTube. Look, John, we always have to we have to admit it. If you if you're bold enough to make a prediction, then you need to stand against it, right? <laughs> well, I'll blame UBS if it's wrong, but uh, but I think that they I think that they're broadly they're on on the right track. Fair enough. Um, the other thing is, do you think one month of data could be an outlier at this point in time? So in other words, yes, we had a very positive data, but it's only one month of data. And, you know, like are we are we seeing a bit of false positive at the moment? Could could the could the CPI start lying back a little bit again next month when uh, when US because, you know, we're heading into Christmas. Right. So, yeah. you know. This this good news might make people feel like oh this is the end of a rise that start spending again because mm. you know rates are going to drop as early as July next year. What do you think? So, um, no, I don't. I don't think it's a one off. I think it's it's a trend. Okay. Uh, the the only the, the problem is we kind of backed ourselves in a court. So I think the biggest risk at the moment in the world is is sovereign debt. I think there's too much debt. I don't think climate change is a problem. I think debt's a problem. Um, one of de- debt's like an anti-productivity move. So it makes it very difficult to grow when you've got so much debt. And the reason why that's going to be problematic for inflation is not only that inflation in its truest definition is comes from the issuance of debt, the printing of currency, but also because if if there's too much debt, the economy can't grow. And if the economy can't grow, you can't grow into the new currency supply that you've created. So if you can't create more goods and services because there's too much debt and you've got to fire people and all that sort of stuff, your economy becomes less productive. If it's producing fewer goods and services, then it's it's hard to get inflation down in, the, in that sense. So the, that there's too much debt is is a genuine problem. And I, I don't think that there, there has to be a reckoning. 
there has to be a reckoning. And Australia's actually quite well placed because relative to all the other dirty shirts in the laundry, we're okay. Um, but but debt debt is is a ticking time bomb. Mm. For the whole world, basically. The whole world. For the whole world. Okay. All right. On that bright note, what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> John keeps circling back. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, that 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 we keep uh, trying to work out what it is. But uh... <laughs> well, I mean, so, so you got to. If I'm right, then come up with your own way to hedge it, and but you should always be optimistic. Um, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But if I'm right, there are always ways to hedge, like potential debt defaults and currency crises and all that sort of stuff. So certainly not the end of the world. I think it's about being cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Globally, yeah. Really. So, yeah. Don't change your plans. Don't change your plans. Keep plenty of buffers as mm-hmm. we all recommend you to do. So, how, if, if, um, if this does come true, so in other words, Fed start cutting rates in as early as mid to late 2024 and at this magnitude, how would it impact Australia? Do you think? Is the RBA going to follow suit as well? in terms of dropping a little bit and because you know how last month i think at the moment everyone's saying higher for longer they're not going to start reducing rates until 2025 i guess would this sense of optimism now and seeing the latest fed and u.s data is this going to change the narrative in terms of our local economists again to say let's put the rate cuts back on the table with the rba here's when we think it's going to happen yes so if if the u.s is still the reserve currency this time next year, and I anticipate it would be. Yeah. Uh, and if they start cutting, then we, we would be cutting as well. Yeah. Um, the, the way the monetary system works, to, to use a really crude metaphor, is that um, the, the, the world economy is the milkshake and the US is the straw. And they get to suck all the. Uh, it sounds terrible. It sounds parasitic, and I don't mean it to be like that. But 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 capital gets attracted to the US because. They've got the the best capital markets. They've got the most liquid markets, and they've got the reserve currency. So, in a sense, um, when Malaysia does a stimulus package, uh, half a lot of that that money ends up in the US because of currency pegs. So they, Malaysia is just an example, but a lot of the capital gets attracted into the US, even though it's printed in Malaysia or Australia or Japan or China, um, Hong Kong. Yeah. So so. America's a magnet for capital and they're the reserve currency. So we're the milkshake and they're the straw. And so w- what I mean by that is, and I've I've answered it in a bit of an indirect way, but y- yes, if, if they go down a certain path, we're going to follow them. And it doesn't have to be, you know, we didn't raise rates as high as they did, but we still had to raise rates. And if they cut rates, we may not cut as hard as they do, but we'll still cut rates. So we would directionally um, mirror what, what they're doing. In line, basically. I like that analogy, milkshake and the straws. Oh, yeah. It's Very not mine. True. It's not mine. It's a guy named Brent Johnson. He's got this thing called dollar milkshake theory. You should totally look it up. It's fascinating. Oh, okay, there you go. Something uh, something for our listeners to uh, to Google up. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this part. So, okay. No, awesome. No, thanks, John. I think that's uh, good, to, good to always get your insights in the mm. round things, especially in the changing world like this. So <laughs> that's uh, change lanes and talk a bit about property in this case. Okay. So, um, um, look, I think we are currently, I mean, I think for property buyers, um, in the last, I say 2023 is a very difficult year to secure property. Like it's challenging even for buyers agents, let alone people who want to be able to do it themselves. 
And we're talking about both owner occupiers and investors alike. Okay. So main thing was we we've covered this a lot of times short. Um, there's not a lot of stock coming up. I mean, the stock is starting to, to be freed up into the, the market now, which is good. Um, but there's still very strong ongoing demand. Okay. So I think for today's discussion, um, we want to be able to help those listeners who are currently looking to make an offer and to maximize a chance of getting an offer accepted. In other words, maximizing your chance of number one, finding a property, number two, negotiating, and number three, securing the deal yourself. And, you know, without, yep. obviously, you know, if you don't want to do it, then we've got professionals like John who can actually help you. Um, but uh, at the same time, we also, very happy to share our own experiences and tips and tricks that you can take away in order to do this yourself. So, yeah. All right. So we've, um, we've kind of break it down into a few key points or key sections and we'll cover them as we go. But um, I think number one really is, uh, is uh, talking about, you know, if you're looking at purchasing a property, you need to understand and you always need to peg it. You, you need to come back to your goal. That's the yeah. number one. That's the number one key objective, right? Like, if you're not here to purchase a property, you're not here and you're not, you're not serious, there's a lot better things that you can do in life rather than having to be there negotiating and, you know, speaking to a sales agent. Yep. So, um, you know, you're not, you're not there to basically give someone a nasty time or to tell sales agent how they should be selling things, really. Yep. Um, you are there to try to purchase a property and, you know, sometimes, and that means sometimes you need to take your personal emotions out of it as well. Disregard, you know, even though you, if you don't like the sales agent, and we know sometimes they can be quite sneaky, they probably sometimes could be, you know, not as professional as we all would like them to be. But don't forget, you know, the key objective is to try to get the highest selling price for the seller. That's their key incentive. Now, once you understand that, don't be too offended when you when you try to when you try to make an offer in that sense, okay? Because ultimately they're there to get their job done as well. But you know, if you put your personal emotions aside and always, I think the easiest way to do that is to come back and say, I'm here to buy a property. So yeah, how, how can we, how can we get it to happen? How can you as in the sales agent and me work together to make it happen? Love it. Yeah. So, so remember, yeah, your goal is to buy a property. So your, your goal is not to teach the real estate agent a lesson or, or you're not supposed to teach him manners or her. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, there's an old saying, a real estate agent told me the saying, by the way, he said something like, the people who succeed in real estate are the ones who buy, which is, it's it's hilarious and obvious, but um, I have had clients who wanted to to put offers in to, to stick it to the man and all that sort of stuff. Not here for revenge. If, it, if the deal is not going to happen and it's clear, walk away. Um, you're there to buy a property. You're not there to settle a score. That's right. It happens. It happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, <laughs> you'll probably see it more often than not, to be yeah. honest, John. Um, <laughs> well, uh, guys guys get very alpha. Males get very alpha when it comes to negotiation, and they, they see it as like a, a test of manhood to out-negotiate the other guy. It's not. It's, it's, um, it's a marketplace. It is, yeah, it is. And I think um, tagging on to that also, um, you know, just, just be nice, be a person, um, you know, give, give each other a bit of uh, respect um, because yeah, if you treat others right and you treat others with respect, you will get that in return as well. True. Yeah, basically. So, 
Okay, so that's our uh, tip number one, basically, is to always circle back to your goal and you're here to buy a property, okay? Uh, number two, uh, know your market. So this is maybe to do more with due diligence um, side of things as well. So, um, John, I'll let you, why don't I let you to do a bit of introduction on this one? So knowing your market, it's, it's, the, it's the, the biggest weapon that you have, actually, just being really knowledgeable in the market. And part of part of knowing the market, so knowing the market is comparables and, and all these sorts of things, but it's also knowing when to stop negotiating. It's knowing when the deal is done. Mm. So it, it's known to say, yeah, it's a great deal. It also it's also about knowing when the offer that is available to you. So so when some some properties have a, a a guide, and sometimes the guide is too low, sometimes the guide is too high. But you don't need to negotiate a deal where the asking price is already very low. You only need to negotiate the high priced asks, right? Yeah. So but how do you know that without doing your due diligence? So yes. know your market, know when to stop negotiating, know when to pull the trigger. Because because negotiations can go on and on and on. You need to know when to when to pull the trigger when you've got a good deal. Uh, the other thing is part of knowing your market is when you make the offer and you send, you you'd probably call the agent and then you'd follow it with an email so you get it in writing. Um, put recent comparables in the offer email. So substantiate your actual, uh, I find this very powerful actually. So substantiate your offer with some recent sales. So, so, you know, due to this sale, this sale, this sale, we think that this offer is extremely compelling and, you know, think you should take it sort of thing. Um, but you, you need to know the market for any of that to happen. True, true. Now, that's a great tip, John. Uh, basically, yeah, substantiate your offer. And, you know, it could be with different reasons as well. Um, you know, like this property could be slightly different, but, you know, it's on a bigger block of land. So therefore, mm -hmm. that's why exactly. the condition is, you know, uh, not as good as this one or et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, use that as a bit of, I think it comes down to explaining your rationale about the offer to a degree. And if you can, if you can make it compelling and justifiable, the sales agent is certainly willing to negotiate with the seller on your behalf yep. as well to say, look, you know, I'll take it back to the seller. I'll come back to you and we'll let you know what the what their feedback are. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a great point. I think it, it's also good that you, um, yeah, I think everyone get a good bit of glimpse in terms of how buyers agents usually negotiate as well. Giving it away. <laughs> Giving it away. I know. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> the other one, um, third tip uh, is to do with um, uh, authority. Authority, authority. So, um, authority, which is also an interesting one, John. I think. Um, how do we position this? Um, do you have a? Do you have? A, do you have like an example which you could share? Yeah. With? So, so sometimes you you're you're in a in a negotiation, and generally speaking, negotiations I think should go fast. But sometimes you want to slow things down, and one way to slow things down is to appeal to authority. And and this is something like so for a buyer's agent, it's easy because I say I need to go back and speak to my buyers, right? Mm. But if you're not using a buyer's agent, you would say something like, um, I need to I need to go and talk to my solicitor. Or another way to say it is look, I think I think the price you're asking is fine, but the bank says it's not worth that. And so what you've done is you've deflected bad cop onto the Mm. Onto the authority, whoever that is. So the banks, the bank, the, the bank says it's not worth that. Right. So I'd love, I'd love to get a deal done today, but they're saying it's not worth it. Something like that. Right. Um, it's called good cop, bad cop. You're the good cop. The other guys are the bad cop. 
It's always but it's it's a way to appeal to some authority. Yeah. The caveat is never say I need to go and check with my wife or I need to go and check with my husband. So that is not an appeal to authority. You, you do want it to be your solicitor or your mortgage broker or uh, the bank or someone like that. But it's a very it's a very handy way to slow things down. Um, and it's a very handy way to push back without you being the the difficult one because you don't you want to be nice, right? And when would you use this uh, in in that kind of situation? Like in terms of it, would you would you be using this? Let's say, for example, when you receive a counter offer from the sales agent, or what kind of situation? You use it towards the end, uh, okay. towards the end of a negotiation. Um, it counter offer potentially, yeah, p- potentially. Um, but but usually it's it's towards the end when you're about to about settle. to settle yeah, and, and settle. You, you sort of you, you you kind of don't don't meet them the whole way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So that's the uh, that's the defecting to authority basically to be able to give you a bit of time as well to you know to to absorb and to think about okay is this is this offer compelling is this offer within my range is this you know yeah. don't be driven by emotions basically to a to a degree so give yeah. you a bit of time buy you a bit of time basically yep okay great all right next tip um i'll call this one anchoring which is uh an interesting one uh i think john so um anchoring i i actually use this myself as well even though i'm not a buyer's agent but um you know you i could share this because i i've used it in my latest purchase um when when you when you're when you're negotiating with a sales agent Obviously, they got a figure in mind. Uh, in that sense, you have a figure in mind. Uh, what you generally want to do is you want to position them to meet you to whatever, whatever, whatever point that you want to. You know, generally speaking, I say I try to do it in midway to a degree, just to make it a bit more compelling. So, let's uh, say for example, you know, sell, seller, you you kind of know the seller wants around a six fifty k mark. You want the six hundred k mark. Okay, well. How do you guys meet in the middle <clears throat> in that sense, right? So you wouldn't you wouldn't go in with an offer that just goes five fifty, for example, because that's probably going to be too low. Let's say, for example, your final offer you wanted to make it in six six, you want to make it to work for six twenty five. Then you might go in and say, "Look, we know the seller wants six fifty. Um, I my offer was six hundred. Would the offer would the would the seller be willing to consider if we meet in the middle for six twenty five? Now you could do that upfront. You could do that later on. It depends on different strategies and depending on the market. Um, but then again, I think you know at least if you if you explain your logic and this ties back to you know explaining your subst- substantiating yes, your offer. Knowing the market. That's right. So you know if you say okay, well I'm not trying to take advantage of it. I'm not trying to give you just a, a crazy lowball offer. Here's my reason, and I'm willing to meet halfway. Now, this, of course, the sales agent might come back and say, no, no, that's still too low. So, you know, we want this and we want this, but at least it's edging closer to what you want. And in the meantime, you can also pull a bit of levers, which we'll touch on as well in terms of different terms and conditions. Like, do they need a fast settlement? Do they need an early settlement? Um, do they, you know, is it a divorce? Uh, is it a mortgagee type of sale? Do they want the, you know, do they want fast or do they want unconditional offers with section 66W signed off? with no cooling off, right? So few levers that you can pull, you might go, okay, we can do an early settlement, but I'm going to have to stick with my price. Um, would you take it or leave it? Or you might go, okay, well, you know, there's levers that you can, you, you let go, but then you, you probably give them a bit more um, to make it up. So it's about finding that balance in my personal opinion. Yeah. John, what do you think in terms of anchoring? Have you got- I anything? agree. Uh, the only thing, uh, the way I would, the only thing I'd add is- um, Anchoring is about 
controlling where the conversation starts because you can't necessarily control where it finishes, but you can sure. control where it starts. And the the rationale there is that w- when human beings hear new information, we always cling to the first piece of information we get. So when you go into a negotiation, you want to set expectations that the price will be around here, mm. not around here, right? So you, you you give signals and hints up front where you're prepared to play the game mm-hmm. and they will come to you. Now, they will try to drag you away from it, but at least you're having a conversation over here and you're not having a conversation over here. So it's about, it's about setting the parameters, setting a range of an acceptable conversation around price and you want it to be over here rather than over here it's called anchoring and it's just about saying saying what's acceptable to you early without being too obvious <laughs> and so but, but but early is the key word there that's early what yes yes i think if you set the expectation early then yeah you're you know you'll, you'll have a high chance of basically getting the deal done yeah. with that expected price as well so um Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's about anchoring, which is a very key ingredient on negotiation, really. Um, and actually, while we touch on anchoring, I think it also leads to the next point, John, you might be able to elaborate this. It's about control or, you know, uh, making the sales agent think that they are in control. Can I leave that one with you? Let me give it a go. Uh, so, Yes. So the, 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 this one's called the, the the illusion of control. It's a general negotiation tip, but it uh, came from a highly recommended book, a very popular book called Never Split the Difference uh, by Chris Voss. Now, Chris Voss was a, an FBI hostage negotiator. So he mm. he was the guy talking the, um, the the bank robbers out of the building and the, the, the people off the ledge. But he wrote a book a couple of years ago called Never Split the Difference. And the rationale behind the book was, I think David, you uh, we've both read it, but read I think it, yeah. um, the rationale behind the book was if you've got a, a life and death situation where you've got a, a, a situation where you get ten hostages, you in that negotiation you can't say you can take five and kill those guys and we'll take the other five. So you can't split the difference in that. Okay? You need to get all ten hostages out, yes. and it, you, it, meeting them halfway is equivalent to saying, all right, you kill five of the hostages, we'll take the other five. That's it'd be a terrible negotiation. You got to get all the hostages out. So how do you get everything you want? And it sort of ties into being nice and ties into knowing your, your market and all that sort of stuff. But what he talks about is uh, calibrated open questions. So you start by, you get them to do the talking. So you don't tell them what you want. You get them to, to, but you, to do the talking, but you, you need to, Ask the questions in a way that is open and open ended enough to to find out about what they're trying to achieve. Some of these questions are things like, uh, "What about this is important to you?" or "How would you? How do you want to proceed?" or "You, you tell me how do we solve this problem? What's the objective?" And one of the best ways, the best question, is when they maybe give you a price. You say, "How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do that?" pause pregnant pause and and make sure that they they're the next people to say that and usually what they'll do is there'll be some form of capitulation when i say how am i supposed to do that or how am i supposed to go back to my client and tell them the price just went up by fifty thousand dollars that sort of thing right so you instead of saying i can't go back to my client and say the price just went up by fifty thousand you say how am i supposed to do that so and here's the the key the key to giving them the illusion of control is what you want to do is you you want to get them to repeat 
Um, re- repeat the answer back to them. And here's the key. You want to get them to say, that's right. Quote, that's right. What you don't want is to, to get them to say, you're right. So whenever I say, you're right to my wife, I'm trying I'm tr- trying to get away <laughs> from, from a, a prickly conversation. I say, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. You're right. Um, what I what we want to get to is that's right. When you when you've got them at that's right, they're bought in, and you can leave the conversation there and resume the, the negotiation after. But all of those, you know, calibrated questions are to get you to that's right mm. rather than you're right. It's a great tip. It's a good book. You should you should uh, read it. Oh, definitely. I know you personally, but but listeners yeah, should definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you've explained it perfectly, John. So, um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> very, very good. You've you pretty much uh, picked the essence out of that book. Um, so it could have saved our listeners a bit of time, but uh, yeah, it was a really, it was a really fascinating. I think I I, I listened to it on audio book actually. Mm. So, you know, it was narrated and yeah, it was very, it was a very good book and very interesting content as well. Exactly yeah. the same situation as you said. You know. You can't you can't split the difference in terms of killing five hostages and getting yeah. the other five out. It's it's a it's a do or die type of situation. Yeah. So yeah. how do you ensure you get them all out? So, um, but yeah, there's certainly luckily in life we don't actually. Face and the book that. the book is written as a series of case case studies. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Actual examples. It's actual examples of the yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's right. Mm. So. Um, Luckily, we don't get to see those uh, life and death situations every day, but uh, you know, certainly a lot of things that we can take away from that. Uh, mm. So, illusion of control. I like it. Very, very good. Okay, our uh, next tip: um, negotiating on the condition. So, I think this one is uh, what I touched on briefly uh, in the previous point. There, uh, basically, you want to um, you want to understand a bit in terms of what's going to tick and what's important to the seller is is how I is how I look at it. You know, um, I've already briefly touched on. You know, was it a mortgagee sell? Is it a divorce sell? Is it a bankruptcy? Is it um, you know like did have they already purchased another property as well? In other words, they've committed elsewhere, right? So every seller is of different situation at the time of entering into that contract. So as much as you want, you want to be able to dig in a bit more and find out a bit more underlying in those. So, mm. um, you know, as an example, I think one of the properties I looked at previously was an elderly lady. Um, she's owned a house outright. She's not in a rush to sell. So she just wants the best price. Okay, well, in that case, then the highest offer is really what's going to tick rather than all the other ones. Whereas that say, for example, it was a mortgagee sell um, or divorce sell, you know, then they just want to basically get it done, get it sold, and then get the money into their bank account as quickly as can so they can split their way. In that case, you could potentially negotiate on a shorter settlement date in order to make your offer a bit more attractive because they just want their money in the bank account, right? Want to get it, want to get the dirty laundries out of the way now. So, um, and in essence, if you do that, you say, I'm going to give you a shorter settlement. But in contrast, I want a better price. Yeah. So that's a bit of a give and take in terms of negotiating conditions is the way I understand it. But yeah, I'm sure, John, you've got a much more insight than me on those. No, no. <laughs> so I agree. So you want to you want to negotiate the little things, and the reason yeah. for that is give and take is the right expression. But the reason you want to you want to negotiate little things is because you, you want to ask for things that you don't necessarily want, and mm-hmm. the reason for that is you want them. Again, we're trying to give them the illusion of control. We want we want them to come out as though they're feeling like they won. So if you ask for something that you don't necessarily want and then they say no, 
there's a concession. You, you've been a reasonable negotiating partner, and and you and, and you you've conceded to one of their one of their wishes. But you only conceded because you asked for more than you were prepared to take. Right. So it's about if you if you negotiate inclusions and you, you negotiate settlement terms, you try to get a lower deposit. If they say no to two of the five things you are, you've asked for and you agree, you've been a reasonable negotiating partner and you've uh, there's been give and take, which is what you want. Yes. So ask for things you, you don't necessarily want so that you can negotiate them. Yeah, perfectly put. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, as you can right. see, I mean, John, John's the one that's gone through a lot of battlefields here, right? Oh, the <laughs> scars. The <laughs> I've got the scars. Exactly. The scars, mate, the scars. You had them pretty well, though, for your age. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so that's negotiating conditions, all about give and take, and um, which comes to our last tip of today. Uh, never speak poorly of the property, basically. So I think that somehow ties back a little bit to our first point as well. You know, you're there to make the transaction. You're there to make the deal happen. You're not there to basically give anyone or any property a hard time. <laughs> mm, <sure. laughs> you know, if if the property is in a terrible condition, people can see it, people know it. The sales agent doesn't need you to, to write a whole essay to say how crap it is. <laughs> yeah, they know. They know. They know it's on a main road. Yeah, so you exactly. don't need to go, it's small, isn't it? Or it's on a main No, they know. They know. They're, 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 they're trying to do a job, so. Exactly. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> I think that's just, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those uh, common sense in, in, in honesty as well. But um, I mean, you might be surprised, like John, you know, you're, 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 I'm sure you're seeing a lot of these people coming in and try to, uh, somehow I think the psychology is related to the alpha male a little bit as well. I want to be the dominant one. So therefore you've yeah. got an inferior product here. You should be selling it to me at a cheap price because it's an inferior product. Yeah, That's not the right mindset when you try to get the deal done, right? You will try to go in. So never speak poorly of the property. I mean, you know, yes, they, the, the seller and the, the and the sales agent always know what they're selling. Um, they're selling into, I mean, if the if the seller has a wrong expectation, then the market will tell them that, basically. You know, if it's a crap house and they want a million dollars or they want some crazy numbers for it, the market will teach them that lesson because they, they won't be getting any offers depending on the market yeah, condition, yeah. of course. But um, yeah, you don't need to tell them the blinding obvious, I guess, circles back again. If you are making an offer, be genuine, explain the rationale, substantiate it with the offer in terms of why you put in this offer that's it that's it yeah i've got a i've got a friend who is a real estate agent and 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 if and to give you an unrelated example he hates when people say oh it's it's on a main road uh it's terrible i'll I'll give you you know whatever less he says "I, i know it's on a main road um and uh, and that's baked into the price. And it's like you, but you knew it was on a main road when you came to inspect the property as well. So don't come into the uh, property knowing it's on a main road and then complaining it's on a main road. So don't shit on the property uh, loud. It's, it's bad manners. There's no need for that. And uh, and everyone knows what you're complaining about because you're right. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're still right, but it's just, you're just right. it's unnecessary. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, okay, uh, good. Shall we throw in a bonus tip, John? Sure. Yeah, do, I do think you... um, I think I think um, a, a bonus tip we could chuck in here as well uh, is related to how quickly should the negotiation process be, um, in essence, and and you know this is where I probably need to draw on your experience a little bit, John, but. 
Um, the precursor here is depending on the market conditions uh, as well. So if you're looking at a property in Perth today, as opposed to a property in Canberra or Melbourne, which is mm-hmm. you know very quiet at the moment, the negotiation skills that you use and also the negotiation period that would take could also be very different. In a very competitive market, you might want to move quicker and you want to go straight to it. Um, because there's no gonna there's not gonna be second chance. Like in Perth, I think hypothetically the 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 um uh the days on market might be less than a week at the moment. So you only got one shot at it and put in your best offer, run and go, oh, do you know what? You know, I know they want this, I know I want this, so that's me in the middle. No, it's not gonna happen. So um so yeah, so so the negotiation period would also be dependent on the actual market condition and how much competition you have and john this is where i rely on your experience um in a hot market how quickly do you want to do you want negotiation period to be do you want to be within a certain period like within a couple of days within a week or what will be the general guideline here in terms of what you would do yeah so generally you want to negotiate quickly um you know think of the the multi-millionaires they're not out there like spending heaps and heaps of time what they what they spend their time on is selecting the right asset, be it a business, be it a piece of real estate, but they don't negotiate it for that long. Um, and if you're miles away, that they walk away early. Um, so generally speaking, time kills deals. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't want the negotiation to to, to drag on for too long. It, it invites other people. Um, but generally speaking, I want my negotiation to take uh, a couple of days, let's say, yep. no more than a week. Although, I mean, there are exceptions, and it's it's happened in the past where it's gone over. But um, I want it to be maximum a week, and I don't want it to go over a weekend. Generally okay. speaking, because then it goes quiet. You, you there's another inspection. Yes. So if it's a Wednesday, I want the negotiation done by Friday. Correct. Yes. But if it's a Tuesday, I still want the negotiation done by Friday. So that gives me an extra day. But I don't want the negotiation to go to next week. Yeah. T- time time kills deals. If you know what you're buying, you don't need to you either walk away or you buy it. I mean, um, you, you could make an argument, and I, and I agree with you, that in a slow market that's in slow decline, you can drag the negotiation out, and that's true. But generally speaking, you, you want to get the deal done, move on with your life, yes, renovate it or whatever you're going to do. Um, in a hot market, you just don't have the choice to move slowly. You, you don't. You need to move quickly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Mm. Thank you, John. I think that's uh, that's uh, pretty much the a wrap. But uh, you know, I'll do a recap in terms of the tips. You know, we talked about yep. uh, the goal. So you know, always always make sure your eyes on the price. You're here to purchase a property. You're you're not here to fluff around or give someone else a lesson. Uh, know your market. Uh, do your comparables. Know what you are what you're putting through. Is it within the range? And always make sure you substantiate your offer as well with uh, comparables. Um, authority, so we talked about authority. Uh, basically, if you are being ambushed with a counter offer or towards the end of the negotiation, if you need a bit more uh, time to think it through, you can always use, I need to speak to my broker, I need to speak to my solicitor, oh, but the bank valuation doesn't show that. So to drag it out a little bit, buy yourself a bit more time to be able to um, to, 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 to more on the actual counter offer. 
Uh, anchoring. So, um, you know, we spoke about anchoring. Um, you just want to make sure that uh, you are setting the expectations upfront and also making sure they are playing within the range that uh, you want them to play um, and try to meet in the middle as well. Um, you know, it's not always going to be a win on a complete win on one side. You want to make it a win-win situation on both sides. That's the idea. Uh, illusion of control. You've explained it so much perfectly than I, than I did, but all I'm saying is that's it. <laughs> that's right. Get to that's it. That's, no, right. That, that's right. That's right. Not your right. That's yeah. right. Not your right, right? So the key to take away on that, and that happens, that doesn't have to apply just to property. It can also apply to relationships as well. So John, when are you going to become a relationship consultant? <laughs> God, <laughs> divorce would spike. We don't want that. <laughs> um, all right. And then uh, we've got uh, negotiating conditions um, as well. So there's certainly a lot of tweaks that you can do uh, in terms of making the deal work. So always uh, work out what you don't need um, and use that to your advantage uh, in terms of negotiating and making offer. Um and second last, never speak poorly of the property. Um, you know, we all know what the property looks like. Everyone can see, everyone can feel it. You don't need to tell the sales agent or you don't need to put anyone down or any property down in order to achieve the outcome that you want. So uh, pretty common sense one. Um, and also uh, our bonus one, uh, negotiating. So in terms of the timeline, try to get the deal closed quickly. Um, time kills deals, basically. So kills take deals. away with that. Mm. Awesome. All right. Thanks, John. Anything else you want to add? No, it was awesome. I mean, yeah, good good one. Good one. Nothing to add. Lovely. All right. Okay. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. And uh, have a lovely week. And we'll see you again in another episode of Spark Your Fire. Cheers, John and David. If you have any questions or feedback about today's episode, you can reach out to us through sparkyourfirepodcast at gmail.com. That's Spark Your Fire Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Also, the content discussed in this episode is general in nature. Please seek specific advice from qualified professionals in regards to your personal situation.